0: Welcome to Basic Christian Life. The teaching series within this podcast is a part of the Basic Discipleship Program. In Mark eight thirty four, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Our hope is that this material will equip you with basic Bible truths that you can know how to effectively follow Christ. Now, let's join today's lesson. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of Basic Christian Life. And we are in session number six and we're speaking on the subject of trials, trials, trials are a fact of life. And if you want to know how to live the Christian life, well, you need biblical truth to help you face trials. Hardship in life is inevitable. And the book of Job, We read a lot about trials. We see an example of a man encountering great adversity. And on one occasion, we read this in the book of Job. Humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Job 5, 7. So any attempt we make at trying to have the perfect life, a life exempt of all hardship, Is futile. According to scripture, struggles and strain are a normal part of living life on fallen earth. We see that clearly portrayed in Genesis 3, 8 through 24, where the Lord describes all of the consequences that come as a result of sin. Any Christian who attempts to live for a cushy, posh, and luxurious lifestyle that is devoid of any hardship will ultimately be disappointed and disillusioned. Uh, Such a frame of mind does not fit within a Christian biblical worldview. When we read the Bible, we gain the assurance that there will be no perfection until the resurrection. As long as we're in the here and now, we're going to have hardship. And furthermore, when we read the Bible, we see that whoever God used greatly was often tried greatly. God's choicest saints seem to experience deep hardship. So how can we expect any different? Even the cor- the course of church history reveals that God's people are not immune to hardship. So, in this series, we're talking about living the base, basic Christian life, and we've talked about the gospel, the role of the Bible, the role of prayer in the believer's life. We've talked about the role of the church in the a believer's life. In this session, I think it's so important for us to zoom in on this topic called trials. Really, if I had an opportunity to talk to any new believer on important subjects he or she must know in order to live the Christian life well, I would speak to that individual about this subject trials. So I want us to study topically or systematically throughout scripture and look at what I would call uh, two important concepts related to this topic. First of all, I want us to consider uh, what I would call the reason for trials. When we study the Bible, we see that the Lord allows trials into our lives for different reasons. Uh, First of all, We believe that trials can bring glory to God God gets great praise and great pleasure when he sees his children clinging to him in worship as they face hardship in this imperfect world now he doesn't induce hardship in order to somehow in a sick and twisted ways get praise no the Lord knows we are in an imperfect world a fallen society And we will, by default, run into some tough stuff. In the midst of that, he gets great glory. He gets great pleasure out of seeing us worship him, praise him, and honor him in the midst of the storm. Now consider the case of Job, and you'll see that this is true. His trials were initiated by Satan. No one, James tells us, when he's tempted should say, I'm tempted of God. For God tempts no man. Satan initiated a temptation and said to the Lord, Job 1A, "Have you considered my servant Job, no one on else, no one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. The Lord said this to Satan, and then Satan answered the Lord, "Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns?" You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased into land. But stretch out your hand and strike him everything and everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. Do you see what's at stake in Job's trial? The glory of God. Satan often wants to use the hardships, the trials of life to get our eyes off of Jehovah and to get our eyes on our struggles. Satan knows that hardship is a way to rob God of his glory. And so, many times, get this behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, Ephesians 6, there is an invisible war. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. Satan wants to rob God of his glory. We see it in Isaiah chapter 14 also. And many times, he is behind the veil trying to use trials and testings to get our eyes off of God and to rob God of the glory he deserves. So the Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. If we were to go over to Job chapter 2, verse 3, we would see a second round of this dialogue between Satan and the Lord. And Satan again is wanting to coax Job into cursing God. In fact, Job's wife would eventually become seemingly a mouthpiece for Satan himself when she later says in in Job chapter 2, she advises her husband, curse God and die. So we see what's at stake in our trials. And we see a reason for our trials. There's an invisible spiritual war and our trials are an opportunity for us to either curse God or bless God. Our trials are an opportunity for us to pull away from God or draw near to God. Our trials is an opportunity, as the old cliche says, to uh, get bitter or get better or really to get bitter or to bless God. And and so we want to see that this is one of our reasons for trials. We have an opportunity to praise God, to worship him, to to glory him, even in the midst of great pain. Even even as our families seem to be attacked, even as things fall apart at work, even as our, our health is compromised. Even when there's great relational struggle in the midst of all of that, we have a platform and an opportunity to worship and to praise and to glory our creator as Job did. We see reasons for trials. Number one, they bring glory for God. Number two, they could bring shame for Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we get a fitting description of our enemy, Satan. There the Bible calls him one who accuses our brothers and sisters continually. He's the accuser. Scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And get this, again, there's this invisible war There is, there are satanic schemes going on, but many times behind the veil, your trials are an opportunity for you to get glory for God and for you to also bring shame for Satan. You can be like Job of old. You can hold fast to your integrity and praise the Lord. And at the end of your trial, you can come out victorious. You can come out getting glory for God and bringing shame to Satan. Oh, Satan wants to win in your trial. He wants to pull you away from God. He wants to rob God of his glory, but you can stop him in his tracks by the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you can give witness that God's grace is truly amazing and that he can bring you through and that he can refine you and that he can get glory through your trials. And bring shame for Satan. Thirdly, I think our trials also serve the purpose of bringing sanctification for the saints. Sanctification for the saints. Uh, The word sanctification is one that refers to something being set apart. Something being set apart for holy or sacred usage. And so the idea of sanctification of believer's life is is one becoming progressively more and more like Jesus, gradually being set apart more for the Lord's usage. Sanctification is the idea of old things, the old life passing away and all things becoming new. It's the idea of one growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, loving the Lord God with all his heart, soul, or mind. Sanctification is when we are changed and refined and consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. We resist, 1 John 2, 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we produce, through the Holy Spirit's power, the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now we see when we read scripture, we can't help but notice that one way God accomplishes his purposes in this regard is through trials. Scripture is abundantly clear. The Lord in his grace many times uses the struggles of fallen life to shape his saints into what he wants them to be. You see, you've got to learn this as a Christian. There's just some things you will never learn apart from a good trial. Not that God's the initiator or always the initiator or instigator of your trials, but He is one who uses trials to accomplish His good purposes in your life. Isn't Scripture true when it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that the Lord has the ability to... To work all things together for good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. And we read in Romans chapter five, verse three and four, these words. We rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope you see all of the good things, all of the Christian virtue that comes into our life through affliction? Things like endurance, character, and hope. Past president Ronald Reagan said this, it takes a lot of heat and fire to make steel. What an important observation. And when it comes to the Christian life, we could say it takes a lot of crises in order to make Christian character. It takes a lot of hardship to make holiness in the life of the believer. It takes a lot of suffering to produce sanctification. Know that your all-wise God wants to use every little trial in your life to make you more and more like Jesus. He wants to use that hard thing to teach you to pray. He wants you to to use that difficult circumstance to teach you to cling to his book, the Bible. He wants you to use that obstinate person to teach you to trust in him. I think about a pearl. Do you know how a pearl is made? A pearl, they tell us, comes from when an object, a foreign object, enters into an oyster. And the oyster sends different products or chemicals to surround that object in order to protect the rest of the oyster. And so a foreign invader, uh, something that seems difficult, if you will, enters into the oyster and through this process of protecting itself the oyster ends up creating this beautiful product and oh christian get a picture from nature trials many times work in the same ways in our lives none of us are exempt from them and god wants to use them to get glory for himself to bring shame to satan and to accomplish sanctification in the lives of His saints Let me talk to you secondly, not just about reasons for trials, but I want to talk to you secondly about requirements for trials. Requirements for trials. And and we see a few as we look at Scripture. Here's a few things you must do when you face trials. I mean, if you want to stay in a close relationship with the Lord, if you you don't want to be sidetracked, hamstrung by trials, if you don't want to be one of those persons who gives up quits on Jesus and the church because of a trial, remember these three important truths. Number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter encourages believers who are facing horrific persecution and hardship, he encourages them saying, don't be surprised concerning the fiery trial that's become upon you as if something strange has happened to you. Peter knew the words of Jesus said, Jesus who said, if, if, the, if the world hated me, it'll hate you. Peter followed Jesus and he knew Jesus' words when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good comfort, I've overcome the world. So, so Peter wanted first century believers to, to realize, hey, y'all, you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, Jesus told us that this was going to happen. We live in an imperfect world Bad stuff's gonna happen. That's what takes place in a fallen society. So, so first of all, we've gotta have a a biblical worldview that's consistent with Scripture. I mean, there's Christians nowadays who get so upset about the fact that a trial comes into their life, and maybe they're tempted to do like Job's life and curse God. They, They give up on the church, they give up on spiritual disciplines. They indulge in some sin as a form of escapism and all along, they feel they're justified. Like God, let this happen in my life. L- listen, such people don't have a worldview that's consistent with scripture. If you're really a Christian, you know that Satan's a prince of this world. You know that this world is not functioning according to the, 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 the creator's original intent. You know that there's this thing called sin. See, what's wrong with many Christians is they're expecting perfection before the new heaven and the new earth. And guess what? There will never be a time in which there is no sin and no suffering until we get to the new heaven and the new earth. There will never be a lack of corruption and confusion until Jesus makes all things new. If you're looking for perfect harmony, ease, and rest in this life, you're looking for it in the wrong place. Don't be surprised when trials come upon you. Number two, I would say this. Choose to be joyful. Choose to be joyful. Uh, we, We live in a society in the Western world, especially in 21st century America, In which folks mistakenly believe that joy is a response to circumstances. Joy is something you can't control. You either have it based on positive circumstances or you don't have it because you have negative circumstances. There's many times this complete breakdown in our society, even a complete breakdown in the church where we think joy is conditional. In other words, there's Christians who they go through a hard time and they think they're justified in being miserable or being mad at God. Well, if you knew what happened to me, you'd see why I have no joy. You wouldn't understand why I have a frown on my face and why I'm so sour and ugly. Ugly emotionally. So, there's this idea that my, my joy is contingent upon my circumstances. In other words, I'll be happy as long as God does good things for me. Go read Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Jesus uses a Greek word there, Matthew uses a Greek word there, translated blessed, which really means be happy. And Jesus there says, be happy, be happy, be happy over and over again. And he oftentimes uses that command, be happy, in relation to what would be negative circumstances. He says, be happy when people persecute you and say all types of things against you falsely. Be happy those who mourn. So Jesus teaches us we can have blessedness, happiness apart from our circumstances. But then James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience great trials. Notice the command of Scripture. The Lord puts the proverbial ball in our court. And he calls us to be joyful even when we face hardship. Know this great biblical truth. You can have joy in the midst of the storm. Know this great biblical truth. You are actually commanded to have joy in the midst of the storm. You say, Patrick, well, I. I I don't have the ability to do that. I've got this hard thing going on. I've got this difficult person in my life. You don't understand how I feel. Now, now I'll level with you. I know it's difficult to have joy in the storm. I've been there. I've been there with anger and anxiety and frustration and bitterness and hurt and disappointment. But through all those things, the, the Lord's had to teach me that joy is something I can experience in the midst of the storm. And the Lord's had to teach me that joy doesn't come from my experiences, joy comes from the Holy Spirit. You see joy indeed Galatians teaches us Galatians 5:22, joy is a fruit of the spirit. For the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Uh, So through our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, somehow in the midst of great trials, if our priorities are right, if our thinking is correct, biblically speaking, if our hearts are in the right place and we're worshiping the Lord as we ought, even though the trials may pull at us, even though the stress and the strain may seem to tear us apart, guess what? We can still have the joy of Jesus in the midst of the storm. Because for Christians... We're living by the Spirit. The greatest happiness in life comes not by what we have. It comes by who has us. It comes not from our experiences, but from the eternal life within us. And Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 teaches us that the joy of the Lord can be our strength. So forget this unbiblical thinking that has infiltrated the church. You can have joy even when you don't have your best life now. The Holy Spirit can give it to you and you can be like saints of old. You can be like martyrs who went to the stake, joyful to suffer on an account of Jesus. So requirements for trials. Number one, don't be surprised. Number two, choose to be joyful. Number three, I would say this, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, verses 15 through 16 gives us some great instruction here. It tells us, speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So notice, Jesus didn't sin, but he suffered. We read in Matthew 4 of him suffering in the wilderness... As he was tempted by Satan and angels, Matthew 4, 11, came to minister to him. We read in Matthew chapter 23 of the way in which he agonized in the garden on our behalf, praying. And he had, as it were, a sweat coming out, as it were, like drops of blood. We see him being ridiculed. We see him being betrayed. We see him being beaten so the Bible holds up Jesus as an example, first of all. If you call yourself a Christian, realize this, your leader, your Savior suffered. So keep your eyes on Him. And when you're tempted to give in to dismay, realize Jesus suffered. So I can't really expect to be exempt. Like Him, I have a human body. He was 100% God, 100% man. But He had a human body and He lived in fallen society. And so just settle it. You're going to face resistance as he did. And I would dare say, you're not going to face the same type of resistance he did. Most of us are not going to suffer at the level Jesus suffered. So that always helps me. When I start to have a pity party, I just think about Jesus. Wow, I'll never suffer like he did. But then scripture says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So remember Jesus, he's your example, but he's also an enabler, an enabler, an enabler in a good sense. He's an empowerer. So you think about him, you remember him and his example, and that helps you think, okay, I don't have it so bad. Jesus went through worse than this, but then you also remember him and you worship him. And in doing so, a supernatural thing happens in your heart where Jesus pours out mercy and grace, Hebrews four sixteen within your soul to help you. So I, I went through a trial on occasion where it just seemed so severe and I honestly thought I, I wouldn't survive the trial. I didn't think there was any way I was going to come out of it. I told my wife, I don't see myself ever escaping this trial. It's overwhelming me. And she encouraged me, yes, honey, you can come through it. But I got to this place in my spiritual journey where I had to really do what this verse says here. Throw myself upon the mercy of the Lord. Seek grace and help from Jesus. Now, discovered in the midst of that, there was no seven-step program that could help me. There was no advice from a counselor that could really assist me. I needed nothing other than a spiritual work of God in my soul and mind to give me the right perspective and to give me the power I need. And I discovered in the midst of a trial, things didn't get better, but my soul got better. The Lord, by remembering Jesus, the Lord poured out mercy and grace to help me in time of need. And He can do the same for you, friend. So remember some requirements for trials. Don't be surprised. Choose to be joyful and remember Jesus. Thank you for joining us today for our lesson on basic Christian life. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast or visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this lesson or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at Thanks for listening.